Hey folks, we'll hope you'll join us for this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, guys, we just closed out hunting season for the most part here in Louisiana, and we're getting ready to gear up for the spawn here with fishing season right around the corner. Time to get the boats out, get your rods and reels cleaned up, and we'll tell you about a trip that we took here recently in South Louisiana that just may get you guys fired up. We're also going to talk about another story that made not only local headlines on social media and local news outlets, but also national headlines. So we'll tell you what we're talking about there and give you our take on it, as well as discuss a topic that's been on my mind for a while, the death of a giant as I see it in the outdoors industry. I'll tell you what I'm talking about on this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. So let's go. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors this week. Glad to have you all on board with us on this beautiful Sunday afternoon here in South Louisiana. Super Bowl Sunday, actually. So many of you are probably getting together with some of your closest buddies and uh, got the grills going, got the uh, crawfish maybe in the boiler. Who knows? Uh, for us, we are not doing a whole lot for Super Bowl Sunday, to be honest with you. Um, been keeping the, the – still kind of keeping it all small as far as the get-togethers go with all this COVID mess that's been going around for the last year, year, and going on a year and a half now. So, But, uh, but anyway, guys, I hope whatever you're doing, you're enjoying it. Just want to tell you thank you for tuning in to this week's show. We have a lot to talk about. Um, we're coming out of hunting season, and there's a lot already going on as far as news and the headlines. Um, one specific story that, that kind of broke local headlines this week is something that I laugh kind of just thinking about it. I have to be honest with you. It's something uh, that many of you probably that tune into this show on a regular basis, you probably read the, uh, the, the, the story about it, and I'll kind of jump into that this week as well as you know, get into a fishing report for you guys. Um, Jackson and I are just coming off the water today, so we got a up-to-the-minute fishing report. If you're looking to maybe get that boat out, like we mentioned in the intro, um, and you're ready to start doing some fishing and you're putting the guns away. So we got a fishing report for you guys that's uh, very up-to-the-minute on it, and we'll fill you in on that, um, as well as talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and um, it is, in my opinion, the death of a legend in the outdoor industry. Um, and I'll kind of fill you guys in on that as we go along. But getting back to the story that made local headlines this past week, um, there was a story that broke or a post that broke actually uh, on social media, on Facebook. And what it was, was it was a, it was a local guy from, uh, from right around here in the Baton Rouge, greater Baton Rouge area and had went on his uh, Facebook page and made a post, just like many of us do on a daily, base, uh, daily basis, you know, and we'll go out, we'll put pictures on there. You guys know how the social media thing works. So then this guy just, you know, woke up. He, it was on a weekend. I think it was last weekend. Um, and, you know, had a great breakfast and decided he was going to put, you know, some posts and make a post on his social media page about the breakfast he was having because he was pretty fired up. So, Little did he know that the, the post that he had on social media and that he posted to his social media page would call so much attention uh, to him and get shared all around social media 
as well as make local news and national news. So I did mention this gentleman posted a picture of his breakfast. And for those of you who haven't heard the news on this story, you may be saying, okay, no big deal. What's, what's the deal? Hell, I might put a post on social media at my breakfast that uh, if I'm having a good time or I'm maybe somewhere, you know, that I, I'm enjoying. Well, that may be the case for most of us, but in this gentleman's case, he, the breakfast that he posted was a federally regulated bird. Um, that is, you know, it's a federal offense if it's this particular species of bird is taken. And for those of you who are, who are, you know, hunters and you've been hunting for many years, just like we have, um, you're familiar with the robins that migrate down here or, you know, down to Louisiana in the wintertime. Um, and robins, you know, growing up, robins were always, you know, a big time game bird before they became federally protected. Um, in my generation, I wasn't even able to hunt them and I'm 41 years old. So this gentleman is about my age, maybe a little bit older. And, uh, you know, he posted a picture of he had killed five robins and he was very, he was very excited because he loved to eat robins and they only came down here in the wintertime. So he killed him five of them. Um, he went ahead and he, he, he breasted them out and fried them up and made them a hell of a good breakfast. So you can imagine once he posted this on social media, uh, you know, most people tend not to know. I, I know when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this, this guy ain't real. There's no way this is real. Well, it was real. So it ended up being that this guy just mistakenly made a post, not knowing, according to him, that these birds were federally protected. So, you know, the guy's not a big hunter. I could see it. You know, who hasn't done it before? I'll be honest with you, many of us that grew up in the outdoors have at some point, you know, killed a robin or some of you may have hunted them to eat them, you know, in the past. And hey, it happens. I understand it happens. The problem is you can't get caught if you do it. And that's what this guy happened to do. He got caught. Uh, not knowing the situation he put himself into, about a couple of hours after he posted his social media post, wildlife and fisheries showed up at his doorsteps. So old Mr. Green Jeans paid him a visit on, on his good Sunday morning that he was having from what, what the details of this story tell us. So now, you know, this is just a lot of people are looking at this story and just laughing and saying, what a dumbass. You know, you can't post that stuff. Well, the guy came out, he made his statement, and he, you know, he ended up saying, hey, look, it was an honest mistake. It's something that, you know, I wasn't even aware was a federally protected bird. I would have never done that. I'm not stupid enough to go do this and post it on social media. Well, a few days later, what, what everybody finds out is this man was an elected official. He's actually, uh, I think, works for a city council in one of the surrounding areas, Greater Baton Rouge areas. So you can only imagine the, uh, the the kind of pushback he's getting on this, uh, especially with the society we're in right now with the cancel culture type situation. But, but honestly, when I read the details of what he said, I really think the guy probably just didn't really know. Or if he did know and, and he had hunted him before, uh, man, good God, you cannot be that dumb, in my opinion, to get on there and post that on social media. So uh, he didn't deny it. He didn't deny the story. He, he told him, I think he actually told him he, he killed 10 birds total, uh, but he had only posted five in the picture. So from what I've heard over the years, guys, I don't know exactly the details on these things. I always heard 
growing up that if you killed them and you were caught with a, with a robin, it was a $500 per bird fine. Um, some of you may comment on this on this once you hear the podcast. Hey, let us know on social media. If you guys know what the fine is for it, you've been caught with them before, uh, I'd love to find out what the, what the actual fine is for them. But I can tell you this. It's a federally protected bird, like I mentioned, in it, and it is not going to be a – a cheap, a cheap deal for him. He's going to have a pretty high payday on this, uh, on this incident just for posting this to social media. And uh, you talk about ruining that, that, that good Sunday morning breakfast he had. Well, the end of his day on Sunday probably didn't turn out as, as well. So, but I had to mention this story. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, not only on social media was this story shared, but it also made the local news here in the greater Baton Rouge area. And I, it made national news uh, headlines as well. So, you know, nowadays with social media, it's going to get out there. So if you put it on there, it's not like nobody's not going to see it. They're going to, it's going to get out there. It's going to make its way. And once it gets into circulation, like this story did, there's not much you could really do about it. So, I, and a, there's a place in my heart I feel for the guy. I have to be honest with you, but. At the same time, he did he did the crime. You do the time. You know, it's how it go all, always boils down. It seems like for the most part, for or at least for us common folk, let's just say that. So, but I wanted to share that story with you. If you haven't heard it, uh, for those of you tuning into the show, you may have stumbled upon the show for the first time this week. Uh, you know, welcome. First of all, we're glad to have you. Um, and if you enjoy the show, we ask that you share it with your friends. Um, you tell your friends about it. You could also visit us on our social media pages on Facebook. As we talk about all the time, we're also on Instagram and TikTok. And we also have a YouTube channel for you to uh, check us out and enjoy our videos promoting Louisiana um, and all the great activities that we have here and are able to do in Louisiana. So we live in the sportsman's paradise, guys, and we don't take it for granted. You know that if you listen to the show on a regular basis, we, we, we're always outdoors just like many of you are. And uh, we're looking for things to do, especially now with hunting season coming to an end. I have to be honest with you. Uh, when I woke up this weekend, I was working throughout the week. I worked Saturday. We're cranking up our busy season at work right now. And uh, when I woke up this morning on Sunday, I, I could have went duck hunting, I promise you. With this cool weather we had this week, um, you know, I just – I still have the itch, guys. I really wanted to be in that blind. But, unfortunately, you can't. The season's done. You know, you look at the extended forecast coming up this week, and we have a we have a major, major cold front coming down south this week coming up. They're talking about, you know, later in the week, early part of the week, you know, towards the weekend – being down into the 20s, uh, you know, high 20s for us here in South Louisiana. And when you're below I-10 and you get wet temperatures and weather in the, you know, the 20s and lower 30s, that's cold weather for us here in South Louisiana. Uh, you know, I talked to my good buddy, Robert Rogers. He's up in Monroe. He's up in North Louisiana. And he was saying that their forecast is showing it in the teens for them. So if that holds true, that's the coldest weather that we have had all hunting season long. It never got that cold. So those of you who are still at it, you may be hog hunting. Um, I know I want to go make a couple of squirrel hunts, hopefully before the uh, before the end of the month, because small game closes, you know, right at the end of Feb or yeah, the end of February. Um, so we may be able to get a couple of more hunts in, uh, maybe, you know, round out a few more squirrels for the freezer. But 
I, I still got the itch. I have to say, I still have the itch. Uh, but usually at this time of year, uh, we do we do start switching gears. We talked about on the previous episodes, we're going to be getting you guys some uh, content for fishing. Uh, we do a lot of freshwater fishing. I, I'm predominantly a bass fisherman. Um, I love to pan fish as well, so we, we like to do a lot of pan fishing. But for years, guys, I tournament fished a lot. Um, I got big into the bass side of things. I've always bass fished since I was a kid, but I really got into it big whenever uh, I got out of college. And uh, usually this time of year, that's that's what we start shifting towards. Um, um, we had mentioned it, you know, earlier when we when we did it, but Amy and me and the boys, Amy was pushing me to get a new boat this year, um, you know, going into the spring. So we, uh, we actually came across a, a great deal on a new boat that we purchased back in the end of October. So right, right when hunting season had kicked up and, uh, and we only, we went ahead, we made the purchase because we knew how hard it was to find, you know, boats. If you get a good deal on it right now, you, you better jump on it. I have to, you know, tell you because I'm in that industry. I do it every day. And right now it is hard to find inventory for those of you who know what I'm talking about. You may be looking to buy a new boat right now. Um, and we're going to talk about that on another episode as we, we kind of get into the springtime. I'll kind of bring you guys up to par on what's going on in the boating industry uh, because that is what I do for my profession. And I can feel you guys, if you're looking, you know, if you're looking to buy a new boat, whether it's new or used, I'll be able to hopefully help you guys out with some buying tips and kind of fill you in on where the industry is as a whole. But, uh, but getting back to the fishing, like I said, we usually crank it up. Um, we woke up today and on Sunday, that's that's my day off right now, this time of year. So we're looking for something to do in the outdoors. And it was one of two things. It was either A, go to the camp uh, this weekend, maybe do a small game hunt, do some squirrel hunting, or B, go fishing, kind of break the boat out. We have only been in our new boat twice uh, since we bought it. So this would be the third time. And uh, what I went ahead and did, I asked Jackson, I said, hey, what do you want to do? He said, dad, he said, uh, I I'm good either way. But so we decided ultimately we were going to go ahead. We needed to, uh, you know, hook into a couple of fish. We wanted to run the boat just to kind of get it out, put some time on it. And uh, and that's what we did. So today, guys, we went down to Bayou Corn uh, down in South Louisiana. For those of you who are in the area, you're going to know exactly where I'm talking about. And if you're not from that area, um, you're probably familiar with Pierport, Louisiana, the Spillway, uh, Bell River, all those areas. Well, Bayou Corn is a little little community right before you get into Pierport, Louisiana. And uh, it, it's a place I like to go in the springtime. Uh, the gentleman who runs Bayou Corn or Sportsman's Landing is the actual name of it. Uh, down in Bayou Corn is, a, is a, just a real good guy. Um, it's a local businessman. He has, a, he has a nice facility there, you know, nice parking lot, good launches. Five bucks to launch, can't beat it. And uh, and he looks over your truck, your trailer, all that type of stuff. You never really have any issues there. So we uh we headed over to Bayou Corn. We put in at Sportsman's Landing right there, and uh and we kind of we have we're familiar with the area pretty well. So we were going, we were going to go sackle fishing. And uh, or I'll say sackle for all my boys below I-10. If you're above I-10, I'm going to call it White Perch, guys. You know what I'm talking about. I'm originally from above I-10. So I was always growing up calling them White Perch until I married a girl from down below I-10. And uh, and she she taught me that it's called Sacolade down here in South Louisiana. So now I've been here for, hell, almost 18 years, and I call it Sacolade now. But 
what I'm talking about is also known as white perch for, for those of you who don't who don't call it sackle. Or if you're from out of state, you may call it crappie. Uh, so we went crappie fishing this year uh, or this time of year. Usually what it is is, uh, you know, it's a it's a time of year where those 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 sackle are moving into those canal systems off of Lake Barrett. And Bayou Corn is basically a tributary. Um, it's a it's a system of canals, dead ends, pipeline canals, uh, oil and gas canals uh, that come off and branch off of, of Lake Verrett. And many of you have heard of Lake Verrett. You know about Lake Verrett. So we, uh, we, 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 we frequent those areas during the spawn because those fish or the bass in the Sacramento kind of do the same thing. They, they push back off of the main lake into these canal systems. They get back in these canals. And, and they'll follow the shad. The shad will also spawn at this time of year. They'll kind of go where the bait is, and they move back into these canal systems. And uh, and you can usually – they'll move up real shallow up on the trees just like basswood or anything else. But today we had a – you know, we, it wasn't really the case. They weren't up real shallow today. We did catch some fish. Um, and we'll post a couple of pictures as well as a, uh, a new YouTube video that I, uh, I got some footage on today of us catching some real nice uh, female – Sacolay today, but uh, they're not up on the banks yet, at least not today. They weren't. This is only one trip we made to be able to kind of see what they were doing. And uh, and usually that's kind of my bread and butter. I'm pretty good. I have to say I can usually locate Sacolay white perch. I grew up, I started out fishing, doing that with my grandfather. He taught me a lot about it. And, and over the years, I, I became pretty good at it. I have to admit, uh, kind of go ahead and give myself a, a pat on the back, I guess, right there. So uh, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I, I I know how to figure them out. And I'll be honest with you. I always told my buddies, I said that I fished with, I said, I'm actually a better sackle fisherman than I am a bass fisherman. There's some of my buddies that are much better bass fishermen than me, even though I, I love fishing tournaments for many years. And I, I, you know, I was in bass clubs and doing all that type of stuff. Honestly, I, I was always a better, a better sackle fisherman. I could kind of figure those, those fish out. It seemed like better than I could the bass. But uh, but our trip, like I said, it wasn't on fire today. The fish were pulled off of the uh, off of the uh, bank. It seemed like so they're not quite there yet. Um, you know, we had a lot of rain come in overnight last night, so that that probably had a lot to do with it. Um, we had some cold temperatures this week, which really doesn't affect the sackle as much. It doesn't seem like um, as it does the bass sometimes. But our water temperature today was anywhere between 56 and 57. I might have touched 58 degrees today. Um, so it's still pretty cold. And with all the rain that we had last night, we had a lot of murky water today. So it wasn't the best conditions. I have to be honest with you. You look at the moon phase, um, it wasn't the best conditions out there today. But, hey, you got one day off during the week, I'm going. I don't give a shit if it's, if it's raining. If it's not raining, I'm not staying in the house. So – Many of you can relate to that. You know what I'm talking about, so you feel me on that, I'm sure. But, uh, but yeah, we like I said, we were able to still put some fish in the, in the ice chest today. Uh, Amy's been after me. to. She said, hey, we're running low on fish. We need to go ahead and start stocking up again. Um, so that's what the game plan is. We're going to pan fish uh, here for the next probably month or two while the spawn is going on and uh, try to catch and try to load up the freezer with some, some delicious sackle. Um, and, and maybe have some fish fries with some butters, you know, do that type of stuff. So looking forward to it. But uh, but I have to tell you, guys, I have to give a shout-out, and this is no bullshit when I tell you this. Um, we were fishing just so, you know, you know kind of the situation. Of if you 
planning on making a trip. If you're in South Louisiana, you want them to take a trip, you're off this week, go to Bayou Corn before these big cold fronts hit. I can tell you, they were off the bank today. I did mention that already. Um, they're not up on the trees either. I, we fished the trees. We fished the laydowns today, and they were not up on trees or laydowns. They were out in the middle of the, or kind of on the drop-off from where it goes shallow into the middle of the, of the canal systems today. Um, two baits that we caught them on mostly today, the ones that we caught, we're on two things, and I had just received a package. I told you guys about it that uh, Blake over at uh, Blake Benoit over at Benoit Performance Baits, he had sent me a, a, a package to kind of fill me up and load me up on some baits. Um, so I wanted to try out. He has a grass shrimp that you guys definitely need to go check out. Um, it's, a lot of people here in South Louisiana have been talking about it over the last couple of years, and this thing is supposedly dynamite uh, for the pan fishing. So I had a popsicle color grass shrimp from Benoit Performance Baits on today. I started out with that. I caught two right off the bat. And then Jackson was using a straight tail minnow uh, from Benoit Performance Baits also. And he ended up catching his fish on that today. So we did, we did throughout the day kind of, you know, try to some curl tails, triple tail grubs, you know, all that type of stuff, different colors. But they wanted to hit those two colors, that popsicle grass shrimp, and that straight tail minnow, uh, you know, blue, I think it was a blue and chartreuse he was using. And uh, and that's what they wanted today. So blue and chartreuse, uh, I think we also caught one or two on a uh, on a uh, June bug chartreuse. So something of that color scheme. And then I was using the complete opposite, which is popsicle, which many of you who sackle fish, you know it's a pink and a purple uh, with a little bit of chartreuse on it. We were tipping it with niblets on there, so we uh, we had our success today. The fish we did catch came off of that. We put together a little mess of probably about a half an ice chest of sacrilege. Uh, and I got home. I cleaned them. They, uh, they, they did have eggs in some of them, and some of them didn't. So they're not quite there yet. Um, like I said, I, I think it's going to be a few more weeks. We need a couple of more warm-ups before it's really just explodes and it's on fire. So – that that's kind of the uh, you know the uh, the report from today. Um, was really glad to get the boat out there, guys. I mean, I, I bought a uh, you know we were looking like I mentioned at buying a new boat heading into the spring season. Uh, Amy had you know I've always had I've been I'm in the boating industry, so I've always had access to pre-owned boats and stuff like that. Um, never actually bought a a brand new boat, even though I've been in the boating industry all these years. And the honest facts are is just because I come across trade-ins and deals. So if it's something that I liked over the years, I'd, I'd snatch it up and I'd buy it. You know, I'd buy it. Um, so I never really had a new boat. And then Amy, you know, my wife, guys, if you don't know her, as good as gold, um, you know, loves to fish. You know, she's not a hunter, but she loves to fish. But that girl sure can be tight sometimes with the money. And, and we all probably been down that road. I call her my financial advisor, like many of you may, may do the same. So I was shocked as anybody whenever she gave me the go ahead this year, she said, Hey, I want to go ahead. I think we, we should buy a new boat. We, you know, we're at that age now where if you, you know, you can start doing some of that stuff, you know, you're not just trying to pay, pay bills and just make it, you know, hopefully, you know, you're able to save a little bit of money and you can do that. So, she uh, it was shocked the shit out of me that she told me to, hey, let's start looking for a boat in the spring. 
Well, like I mentioned earlier, we uh we were looking at in newer boats. We were looking to go aluminum, most likely. And uh and everyone that was in our price range, it was she was like, no, it's too small for us and the boys and all that type of stuff. So we uh she said we were standing outside of a dealer, uh, you know, at a dealership looking at just boats in general, uh, just to get an idea of, of you know the family all fit in. And she said, you know, what if we what if we go back to a fiberglass you know, like a bass boat. She always liked the bass boats. So I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good either way. Honestly, I was, you know. Um, so she started looking on her own, and she ended up finding us a, a pre-owned, which, you know, we were talking about going new, but when, you, when you're when looking at fiberglass, you know the price goes up quite a bit on fiberglass boats, especially nowadays. So uh, she found us. She found us a pre-owned uh, Ranger Z518 Comanche. Um, and those of you who know bass boats, man, that, that is a very, very nice boat. Um, I've sold Ranger for several years and uh, been, a, been a Ranger dealer. I was a Ranger dealer when I was at Cabela's, and I, we're a Ranger dealer at our dealership now. So um, in my opinion, there's no – Boats better built, um, and and that's I know that's very debatable. But when it comes to the bass fishing market, that's that's my opinion. I I've been in every one. I've I've sat in every one, rode in every one of them. And uh, but I will say, besides Ranger, Champion, Champion was number one in my opinion, and then Ranger would come in in a close second. That's that's just my opinion on it though. But uh, but those two particular brands, they always been top quality, great ride. And you know what you get. Resale value is really good on them, and uh, and that's what we ended up purchasing. So, uh, very thankful, very thankful that she she was able to uh, to kind of see that our family was growing. We needed some more space. We needed more room, and and very thankful for a wife who wants to be on the water in the summertime and wants to go fishing and enjoy the outdoors. So, I feel very blessed. I always talk about how blessed I am, and without sounding too cheesy, I really am blessed to have a great wife that. Uh, you know, enjoys the outdoors as much as I do, and uh, and she she grew up in a family that was big outdoorsman. Uh, my father-in-law's, you know, a huge hunter. He's a big deer hunter, very very good outdoorsman. He's a he's a big fisherman, and I've learned a lot about sackleye fishing also from him. Uh, especially when I when I went to school at LSU and I moved down here and and, and started living in South Louisiana, um, it was different. You know, it was just different than being up up up. You know. In the, uh, you know, I grew up in the Acadiana area. I was on that borderline of I-10, but uh, we were still Kunas. Obviously, you could hear my accent that I have. But uh, but it, it was different fishing, that's for sure. Uh, we didn't have the tides, um, you know, that type of stuff playing into it. And we were we were fishing and hunting reservoirs, you know, Celine Larto, uh, you know, all your big reservoirs, Toledo Bend, all that stuff um, is what I grew up on. So it was different. You come down to South Louisiana, start fishing and you have a north wind pick up blows all you you have water the day before and it blows all the water out the next day because the tide um, affects it it's it's a completely different beast so um, you know there's a lot there's a lot to learn and I've learned a lot from him so I'm very thankful so but yeah guys that's what's going on that's what we had happening today uh, made a trip cleaned some fish we got the Super Bowl tonight so we got a lot going on we're gonna cook some good food here at the house like many of you probably are. And, uh, and then we're going to be back at the grind some more, going back to work uh, just like many of you are. So, But I did have that grind to go to that that that, that fire still in me. I'm missing hunting season already. So really looking forward to that uh, just like many of you are to next season. 
and uh, and kicking it up again. I feel like I learned a lot this year. So, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to be talking the death of a legend in the outdoors. I mentioned that to you guys. I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about the rise and fall of a, of a giant in the outdoors industry. And I'm going to tell you, fill you in on what I think about it, something that's near and dear to my heart. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. As we're, we're talking a lot in the first segment of the show, um, as always, guys, you hear us talk about the companies that we use out in the field and also help support us here on the show, on the podcast. Without them, we couldn't do it. And in the first segment, you heard us talk about Blake Benoit over at Benoit Performance Baits. Guys, go check them out. If, you, if you're into fishing, whether it's sackle, bass, uh, you know, any kind of fishing having to do with here in Louisiana, look them up on the web, Benoit Performance Baits. I promise you, you won't be disappointed with Blake. He's a hell of a good guy. And he may, he has a he has an eye for attention, and he really does a good job. Uh, hand poured plastics, jig heads, you name it, Blake can hook you up, get it out there to you. So check them out on the web um, at Benoit Performance Base. Also, even though duck season has come to an end, guys, you heard us talk about them all year long. We're talking about Beaver Creek Game Calls. My boy Patrick Irkfitz over at Beaver Creek Game Calls. Top-notch guy. If you're looking to get maybe you're in the turkey hunt for spring season, Patrick handcrafts and will customize a handcrafted turkey call for you to meet your needs. Or maybe you're looking for a present. You might be getting married. I know that happened this year. A couple of guys were looking for some groomsman ideas, some gifts. They gave Patrick over at Beaver Creek Game Calls a call. Patrick, you know, they were big outdoors, big waterfowl hunters. Patrick customized and made them their own calls and got all the groomsmen taken care of. So give them a call, look them up on the web, follow them on social media. Patrick Kirk Fitz over at Beaver Creek Game Calls, guys. You will not be disappointed. And let them know that Jacob over at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors sent you to them. So great companies. We're very blessed to have, uh, you know, some great companies supporting us, and we're really excited about it, especially with the way the podcast is going now, thanks to you guys. Um, a lot of opportunities have, have presented themselves to us, and we're really looking forward to the uh, to the future, guys. So thank you as well. But I did mention, guys, in this segment, I wanted to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart. I have to be honest with you. Um, you know, a lot of us in the outdoors, whether we hunt or fish or do every a little bit of everything, uh, has at one time or another walked into an outdoor sporting goods store. And you know how it is. We all have our local area, mom and pop stores, our, our local stores, which I absolutely love. Um, I think a lot of times those those are the stores that you can find that hard to find stuff that you can't necessarily get in the big box stores. But we've also all been, you know, probably at some time in a big box retail store, such as your academies, your Bass Pro Shops, your, uh, your you know, Cabela's, all that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, I said near and dear to my heart. And the reason I mention that is because for, you know, many years I was employed by Cabela's uh, here in Gonzales, Louisiana. And, uh, you know, the, the Cabela's I worked for was the original old Cabela's. Um, and what I mean by that was the original founders were still the owners of the company. But a majority of time that I, uh, you know, was employed with Cabela's. And it was a phenomenal company. And, 
you know, a lot of people know Cabela's. They know Bass Pro Shops. They know Academy, but they don't necessarily kind of know the history and the background of, of how those those big stores came to be and how they started. Um, I do. I was lucky enough to have worked for for Cabela's in its heyday, like I call it. And uh, and the reason I say heyday is I'll explain that here in a little bit, kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, as many of you know, Cabela's merged with Bass Pro Shops a couple of years ago. And, you know, we we still have a Bass Pro Shops here, not too far in Denham Springs, Louisiana, which is only about 30 minutes from us here in Gonzales, uh, where I live. And we also have a Cabela's store here in Gonzales. Um, you know, this particular store um, was, we opened up in 2007. And at the time it was store number 16 in the company. And they were looking to do a, a vast uh, expansion as far as retail stores and destination stores went, all that type of stuff. So I came along and I was employed with the company at a time whenever it was, uh, it was you know, like I said, I call it the heyday time. Um, and a lot was happening, a lot of excitement around the company. But many of you would probably agree with me. If you shop both of the stores now since they've merged, there is definitely some changes that you could see. And, uh, you know, there's a lot. I, I have I have a lot of opinions on, on where it is now since they've merged with Bass Pro Shops versus where it was before when they were both independent. Um, you know, I, Johnny Morris, who's the founder of Bass Pro Shops, he, you know, Johnny Morris is well-renowned. He, he has a, 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 a very, a very, uh, you know, how to, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, he's very, he's very well-respected in the outdoor industry. Um, he's a huge, huge conservationist, uh, as was the original founders of Cabela's. But there's some things that I, I don't necessarily like as far as the business plan that he, he runs and operates. Um, you know, if you look at the industry now, he, he basically owns the vast majority of the outdoor industry, whether it's on the boating side of it or the retail side of it. Um, like I mentioned, he, he, he bought Cabela's a couple of years. They, they, they call it a merger, but it really wasn't a merger. Um, it, it was, it was a buyout is what it ended up being. Um, you know, and then just recently he made headlines for sportsman's warehouse. A lot of people who have sportsman's warehouse stores in their area love sportsman's warehouse. They've had a really good name in the industry over the years. And, uh, and you know, and they're a company that a lot of people like to shop. If you've never been in a sportsman's warehouse, the, the firearm selection is, is really, really good. It's one of the best in the industry, even better than it was when I was at Cabela's, I have to say, in my opinion. Um, you know, and then when the news broke that once again, Johnny Morris was going to be buying sportsman's warehouse, uh, there's a lot of people that got disappointed with that with that news that hit the market. Uh, just like it was whenever we found out that, uh, you know, Bass Pro Shops was going to be buying Cabela's and we were going to be coming to one company. So, but to kind of, to kind of fill you guys in on where Cabela's or how Cabela's got to that point, uh, you have to understand where they came from. Uh, originally that, that huge company with the Cabela's logo on it that we all so familiar with as outdoorsmen, uh, that, that company started out with a husband and a wife in 1961. So, you know, they were at a, you know, Dick, Dick Cabela and Mary Cabela or a husband and wife. And they are the original founders of Cabela's along with Dick's brother, Jim Cabela. 
Um, like I mentioned, in 1961, the way it all started, um, Jim, or I'm sorry, Dick and Mary were at a, uh, at a uh, Chicago trade show, and they decided that they were going to start selling flies. Um, and they were going to do it by mail at that time. So you got you to gotta think back to 1961, guys. Completely different time. Uh, it, you didn't have internet. You didn't have, uh, you know, catalogs at that time to where you could really order yet. Uh, it was just different. Credit cards, you know, uh, debit cards, that type of stuff. None of that stuff existed. So they, they started making flies at their kitchen table and selling them um, by mail. That's how they would do it. They was word of mouth. Um, if they were out of town, they would actually mail them out. Is how they would do it. Then in 1963, Jim Cabela joined the company, and that's when the company decided to issue the first catalog. So many of us are familiar with the with the Cabela's catalog, the Bass Pro catalogs. Um, that was like I know for me as a kid, that was like Christmas whenever that the new catalogs came out every year. So you get really excited about it. Um, and growing up, you know that's what me and my my dad we'd order from the Cabela's catalog. So they were doing the catalog deal all the way back to 1963. And I'm going to kind of walk you through the timeline of how Cabela's kind of just, you know, how they evolved and what some major events that happened at that point. So 1963, the catalogs released. And then in 1965, the first full-time employee, Miss Sharon Robinson was hired by the Cabela's family. So at this time, once again, you have Dick, you have Mary, Dick's wife, and you have Jim running the company. They've been doing it for a couple of years all by themselves. And then in 1965, they say, hey, it's time to hire our first employee. So they hire Sharon Robinson to, uh, to help them out because they needed some organization as far as the catalog orders were going and all that type of stuff. So as they are expanding in 1967, Cabela's moves to the former American Legion Hall in Chappelle, Nebraska. So those of you who say, well, wait a minute, hold on. I thought I thought Cabela's was located out of Sydney, Nebraska. Well, they eventually moved to Sydney, Nebraska, but they, this is where they started out. So they, they made a move to Chappelle, Nebraska, and they needed more expansion, so they expanded into the American Legion Hall that they had there in Chappelle, Nebraska. So in 1969, we're moving, you know, we're moving through how it's progressing. In 1969, the company then moves its headquarters to Sydney, Nebraska. So you're looking at four years. They're growing quite a bit. They're becoming more well-known, and they need more space. They need more organization. So they move the headquarters to Sydney, Nebraska. And Sydney, Nebraska is, is the, the, the key, a key you know, element to the story because this is what would ultimately become Cabela's headquarters, national headquarters, for many, many generations and many, many employees, many uh, locals from Sydney, Nebraska. This small town was built around Cabela's, the idea of Cabela's. If you've never been to Sydney, Nebraska, whenever, you know, a couple of years ago before the merger with Bass Pro went through, everything in Sydney, Nebraska revolved around Cabela's. The housing markets, the stores, the, the lumber yards, you name it, the restaurants, it was all based around Cabela's. It was Cabela's. It was, you know, family members of employees. It was generations of Cabela's employees, basically. So in 1969, it moved to Sydney, Nebraska, the company. Uh, in 1971, a couple of years later, 
credit cards came into play. Cabela started accepting credit cards. So that's when you started seeing a little bit of modernization like we used to nowadays. In 1978, the year before I was born, telemarketing, the telemarketing department at Cabela's was implemented. So phone, you know, phone orders were accepted. And I remember growing up with my dad, you could do it one of two ways. Um, you, you couldn't just walk into a Cabela's store, especially here in Louisiana. We didn't have anything like that. So you, if you wanted to place your Cabela's order, you had to either phone it in and it would be delivered to the house or you could order through the catalog and it would be delivered to the house. So they were doing the phone order situation all the way back in 1978, which is 42 years ago, guys. So you can see they're already progressing from 1961 to 1978. The business is growing. It's, 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 it's a booming business for them and it is growing. So fast forward to 1985, Cabela's Outdoor Adventures launches. And those of you who aren't familiar with Cabela's Outdoor Adventures, that was the guided service that Cabela's offered. You could basically uh, book your guides. If you wanted to take a trip to Alaska, you could, you could go through Cabela's Adventure Services. You could book a trip to Alaska. Um, basically, you tell them what you want. You pay the, 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 uh, the cost of it. And everything else was handled by them and taken care of by them. Um, and this went on all over the world, whether it was, you know, trips to Africa, trips out of the United States, in the United States, Cabela's Outdoor Adventures, which launched in 1985, handled all of this. I bet a lot of you who probably have shopped at Cabela's your whole lives didn't even know that they had that part of the company that was available and that was operating. So that was a, that was a milestone also in 1985 when Cabela's Outdoor Adventures launches. So we fast forward to two years later in 1987, Cabela's opens up its first destination re retail store in Kearney, Nebraska. So what do we mean by a destination store? Well, a destination store in Cabela's terms was your big box, your big, you know, retail stores like you see here in Gonzales in Louisiana or your Bass Pro Shops that you would walk into nowadays. A destination store, what they termed as a destination store Mr. Dick and Miss Mary and Jim was a store where families could come. You could see the aquariums with all the fish. You could see all the mounts in the stores. Uh, it, was, it was not only a retail store, but it was also a learning experience. It was an educational experience. It was a conservation opportunity to be able to, to promote conservation. Um, you know, and a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, tears went into those stores. And I can tell you when we opened up, which was a destination store here in Gonzales, Louisiana, in 2007, I was one of the original employees that when we set up that store, we hauled all the mounts into the store. Um, the parking lot wasn't even paved yet. It wasn't even set up yet. And these trucks, they were on a time frame. These big 18 wheelers pulled up in front of the store and it had rained. It was mud everywhere up to your knees. And we literally unloaded all the mounts that you see in the Gonzalez store and walked those mounts in um, to the store in order for a crew to come in and set them up. So we were a big part of that. And I can remember just being so excited because man, that once that store was going to open, we that was going to be the best day of my life in my opinion, because Besides being married to my wife and having my own children, you know, having my children, that was one of the happiest things. I was looking forward to it so much because I had been an outdoorsman my whole life and I wanted 
I, I was so proud to be a part of Cabela's, a store that I had, you know, not only shopped at as a child with my father, but I wore their product. I believed in that in, in the product that they offered. And, and it was just a huge, a huge accomplishment for me to be able to now be employed by them and work for them. So like I mentioned, in 1987, Kearney, Nebraska, that was the first destination store that Cabela's opened up. And, you know, Cabela's, the way they would do this, as these new destination stores would open up, they would number them. So Kearney was number one. The next one that they open up is number two, you know, and they go on from there. So what about Sydney, Nebraska? Well, in 1991, they actually did a revamp. They did a, they did a showroom. Uh, revamp in, in Sydney, Nebraska to make it also a local store um, where you could go in and shop. It wasn't just a catalog. It wasn't just a telemarketing center uh, to place orders. They actually went ahead, did a renovation there and, uh, and opened up to the public in 1991 in Sydney, Nebraska. So they weren't forgetting about the headquarters. They wanted to make that a shopping experience in person as well. And in 1991, they upgraded in Sydney, Nebraska to offer a showroom floor. So fast forward to 1998, the headquarters moves to new building next to Sydney store, next to the Sydney store. So what they did was they they left the they made that original location a store, retail store only, and they began building and constructing a new headquarters right next to it. So there was a lot going on at that time. <clears throat> you could definitely see the growth in the company. A lot of people by this time already knew very well who Cabela's was. They had been around since the 60s. Um, a lot of people knew the story that was going on, um, how they had started, uh, you know, and just a lot of excitement in the company. So in 2001, they wanted to add, they were growing, they wanted to add another, another uh, addition to the company. So they went ahead in 2001 and Cabela's charted the world's foremost bank. Now the bank provides customer, you know, provides customer service, risk management, and payment processing exclusively for Cabela's Visa card holders. So if you've ever been to a Cabela's store or or shopped with Cabela's online, you know about the Cabela's Club Card. You can earn your points on every purchase. A lot of us, you know, cashed in those points to to get free merchandise. And in in 2001, the world's foremost bank was formed with Cabela's. And, and uh, created by Cabela's to start the club card uh, section of the business. So, if if you love your Cabela's club card, you love earning free points. You could thank you could thank the world's foremost bank uh, during that time frame and when Cabela's owned the company because they were the ones responsible for it. So, uh, a lot of us I know or have a love hate relationship with that with that uh, that part of the business, but. So we fast forward, we go down, we're moving forward. In 2004, Cabela's goes public on the New York Stock Exchange. And in my, my opinion, that was an absolute key turning point for the company. So before that, Cabela's was a privately owned company. You had, you had Dick, you had Mary, and you had Jim, you know, all family members that owned the company. Um, and at, at one point, they wanted to, you know, around the 2002, 2003, they were looking to the future at that point, okay? So they're looking to invest in the company. They're trying to expand the company. They're growing it. It's, it's, it's a highly profitable company. And in 2004, in order to do that, they go public with the company, okay, on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's in 2004. In 2008, store number 27 opens up. 
okay? We were 16 in Gonzales, Louisiana in 2007, okay? Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of dates at you guys, but I'm just kind of walking you through the timeline and the progression. So in 2007, Gonzales, Louisiana store here was 16, store number 16. In 2008, number 27 is opening in Winnipeg, Canada, which is the first Cabela store that was outside of the U.S. So up until then, all the stores were in the United States, guys, for Cabela's. Cabela's was an American company. They were they were based here. They were their stores were here, um, and and you know it was a U.S. company. Well, with the growth and the expansion, they were able to expand outside of the U.S. You know, in 2008, by going to Winnipeg, Canada, which was their first store in the U.S. So just another sign how they were growing at the time. In 2012, I was still with the company at that time, and we we were told about uh, a new expansion part of the company that was going to be happening. It was called Outpost Stores. And Outpost Stores at this time, you know, I have to be honest with you, what was going on in my opinion is they saw a trend with online shopping. Um, we're in a completely different generation than it was when the company was coming up through the, through the, uh, the golden years it was growing. Um, you know, online with Amazon and all these all these online shopping companies now, like we're accustomed to, Cabela's, you know, higher up saw that there was something going on there. So these big destination stores that they had been, you know, growing and opening for many years, like we had Gonzalez, they started kind of pulling the reins back on that. You know, that you're talking, you know, here in Gonzalez, Louisiana, our store was 160,000 square feet. That, that's a big store. That's an expensive store to operate. And with online shopping cutting into a big portion of the business, they figured, okay, we still want to offer these areas that we move into uh, uh, opportunity to kind of have a small town feel still to it, or maybe like a local, you know, mom and pops type store. So these outpost stores were going to be in smaller areas, less populated areas, um, and they were going to be much smaller, more like your mom and pop stores. So that was in 2012, uh, and you know, 2012, uh, they were they were looking to to still expand, but they were kind of pulling back. Um, what it says, let me see if I could go back. I, I read something where in the markets. Okay, so basically, they wanted they wanted to move the outpost stores into markets that had fewer than 250,000 uh, people living in those areas. Um, now, at that time in 2012, Cabela's was up to 34 stores total before they started on these on these outpost stores. So they had a lot of overhead, a lot of a lot of big, you know, uh, boom going on. But they were profitable. They were very profitable. So the outpost store stuff comes into play. They start opening up those, expanding with those. Um, and in 2013, something that, that's a big thing that, that got overlooked, you know, or, or gets forgotten sometimes. Um, as part of an initiative by Cabela's to promote young women to leadership positions within the company, it paired with the Harry and Reba Huge Foundation, which offers college scholarships to four female Nebraska high school, high school students. So they were ahead of times, guys. They were real big on promotions, not only being predominantly male, but also looking at you know at female opportunity for growth, um, and they they funded and started that program in 2012 to uh, you know I'm sorry in 2013 to to show that they 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 really wanted to you know promote 
women having opportunities to move up and uh, have an opportunity to, to, to compete with the men for, for a lot of jobs. So that's a great thing. I really, I really think that's a great thing. Most of us probably would agree. So in 2014, guys, this is another key turning point. And, and in my opinion, um, this was the time where things really started to go in a downward spiral for Cabela's and, and, and kind of get it to where it is nowadays. In 2014, we were all sent out emails informing all stores that the original founder, Mr. Dick Cabela, had died at age 77 in Nebraska, which is where they were based out of. And guys, when I tell you that was a, that was a time that really hit home with everybody, it really affected all of us um, that were a part of the company. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to meet Dick and Mary in person. In 2007, when we opened up the destination store in Gonzales, Louisiana, they were there for the grand opening. And they pulled up in a, in a normal vehicle. And, and you got to understand, they had had this business since 1961. They were well-established at this point. Um, but some of the most down-to-earth people you would ever meet in your life. Um, you would never know that they had the you know probably the type of money that they had by just looking at them or meeting them. Miss Mary had a heart of gold. She talked to you like she was a grandmother. Um, and Dick, even though he was, you know, getting up there in age at the time we opened up, he was still very active. They were going to store openings. That was a big thing that they did every time a new destination store would open. They would go and they'd do a grand opening. So they travel across the country um, and they'd make, you know, shows where they would, you know, they'd show up and they'd sign autographs and they'd meet all the employees. And I have to tell you, their employees were the most important thing to them. Their, their employees and customers were the most important thing to them. Jim also, Jim, Jim doesn't get mentioned a whole lot. You know, nowadays you don't hear his name as much anymore uh, since the Bass Pro merger. But Jim Cabela, guys, I went to sit in Nebraska one time to the headquarters. Jim Cabela's office, his desk was filled with letters, reviews, online, whether it was online, mailed in, however the customers got them to him. That, that's what Jim was concerned with. That's what he did. He would read each and every review, letter, all the stuff that came in in regards to a customer's experience in a Cabela store or ordering online or ordering via the internet. That's what he prided himself on. He would read those reviews, and a lot of changes occurred because of you, as the uh, us as the consumer in the company because of feedback that Jim got and eventually, you know, transitioned into with the company. So I, I have to tell you, phenomenal people. You know, in 2016, I was with the company still. This was before the merger went through. We had, many of you know about the flood here in uh, South Louisiana that many of us went through. Um, my home personally flooded and we went through a rebuilding process. At the time, I was employed with Cabela's. Um, we got a call a few days after the flood to see if we could come in. They had, they wanted to speak to us. They had something for us in HR and I left my home working on my home. I went over to the store, which is only about 10 minutes from my home. And, uh, I was asked to go up to HR, which that's usually never a good thing. You know, most of you know that you don't want to go to HR. Um, I was asked to go to HR. And when I went up to HR, I was handed a white envelope with my name on it. Uh, actually, my wife, my wife, my name and my wife's name on it. And that I was told to take it 
and uh, and just come back to work or report back to work as soon as I could get on my feet at home. And uh, and my job was going to be secured in the meantime. So I, I you know, walk downstairs. I, I go out to my car and I open up the envelope, and it was it was a check uh, from Cabela's Corporation for a certain amount of money. Um, and they did this, guys, for not only me but for every employee in that Gonzalez store. Um, they did it for full-time employees. They did it for managers. They did a, uh, a cut even for part-time employees that had been affected in the community. And, and it still, it kind of tears me up, you know, now talking about it because it was a it was an extremely emotional time in my life. Um, but to see a, a big company in today's modern era do what they did in that gesture as well as other things. Um, at the time when, that we were going through, it's uh, they had my loyalty and my respect before any of that happened, and they, they had it for a lifetime after that happened, I have to tell you. Um, but they did it for everybody. They did it for the community. And then what they also did, uh, which was amazing, was we, we showed up. I, I went back to work one day, and uh, they had 18-wheelers that were parked in the store. And, uh, and you know, they had a lot. I'll I, I tell you what, guys, we're going to go ahead. We'll take another quick break. We're going a little longer on this episode this week, but this is some stuff I hope you find interesting. Uh, and I have some experiences, like some more stories like this I'd like to share with you guys. So let's go ahead. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back, guys. We'll last stop Waterfowl Outdoors. All right, everybody. We're heading into the final stretch of the podcast episode. Thank you for still sticking with us if you're listening still. Uh, I know we've been talking about a lot. And this is one of the longest podcasts we've had this year, but we have a lot of information to cover. I hope you're enjoying it. And, guys, some I wanted to ask you, if you haven't checked out on our, our social media pages, have you guys been checking out Wrap It Up Cajun Customs from our boy Romeo Mamalo over in uh, Slidell, Louisiana, guys? Have you all seen the guns that Romeo has been wrapping for customers lately? If you're looking to protect your hunting gun, whether it's a shotgun, rifle, maybe an AR for self-protection, uh, magazines, you name it, Romeo and Wrap It Up Cajun Customs can do it. If you haven't seen them, go check them out on our page. You talk about awesome. They have a one of them is an AR that he did in an American flag. That man, this it's just a badass wrap all together. But these wraps that Romeo does, they're made to last. They're there to protect your firearms and not only protect them for the longevity of the of the firearm, but they also look badass too. So check them out. Look them up on Facebook. Wrap it up, Cajun Customs. Give Romeo a call. Shoot him a message. He'll give you a quote if you have a gun that you want him to look at. He can wrap it and uh, get it all taken care of you and ready for next hunting season, guys. So check them out. But, guys, going back to Cabela's, like I said, I was in the middle of a story, and I, I didn't want to start a new segment in the middle of it. So we were kind of talking about the situation that we had when we flooded in 2016 and I told you a story about what, what Cabela's did for me personally, as well as my community that I was affected by. But another another story, um, and just to tell you how caring of a company that, you know, something you just don't necessarily see from a big, a big company nowadays in the modern age. But another thing that they did, uh, you know, we pulled up, like I mentioned to you before we went to break, 
Um, I went into work one day and they had a bunch of 18 wheelers pulled up in the back of the store and they were unloading some these big pallets. So I was kind of thinking to myself, what's going on here? You know, it didn't look like a normal freight truck. <clears throat> and I knew something, something was, it was Cabela's logo trucks actually. And, uh, I got, I get into work, you know, I go to my office, I check in this and that. And then, uh, a little bit later, the store manager at the time calls me and he says, uh, Hey, he says, Hey, I want you to come up to the, uh, to the back of the store. We had an upstairs section in the back of the store that was behind the deli and all that type of stuff at the time. Um, so we go back there and there's a giant hallway that runs the entire length of the store. And this, this hallway was just pallets after pallets after pallets of clothing, shoes, boots, whether it was hunting clothes, casual wear, um, you know, Crocs, uh, Cabela's hunting boots. I'm talking, you know, Gore-Tex rain suits, the Cabela's Godwear stuff that a lot of you guys probably buy and spend your hard-earned money on. You name it, if it was a Cabela's product in the store, it was in this hallway, just smashed into this hallway. And it was on both sides of this big hallway, and they had shopping carts up there. And somebody walks over from the corporate office. They had some corporate officials and introduces herself to me. And she says, hey, my name is such and such. She says, uh, I know you're a manager. I just want to, first of all, thank you for your, for your uh, loyalty to Cabela's. Thank you for your time. Um, that you spend away from your family when you're, uh, you know, working for our company. And just thank you overall, she said. I mean, I remember to this day exactly what she told me. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, no problem. Glad to do it. And she said, uh, I I'd like you to get a shopping cart, and I want you to start at one end of the building and walk to the other end of the building, make it to the other way. And she says, you fill up as many shopping carts as you feel you need to uh, – to refill your closets at home for your children, for your wife, for you. Uh, and she said, uh, we, we want you to fill it up. I said, okay. I said, uh, I, I was, I was really I was uncomfortable with that situation because a lot of people in our community had been, you know, affected worse than even my family had been affected. And even though we had a, you know, quite a bit of damage to our home, there were people that were way worse than us and way off, you know, needed way more than we needed. So I kind of went through and I think I grabbed like one or two things, maybe three things. And I was, I was like, no, I didn't even grab a shopping cart. I just kind of threw something on my thing. I grabbed a pair of shoes for my kids uh, and something for my wife. I think a jacket for my wife, if I remember right. And uh, because I knew that we had lost a lot of, a lot of clothing and different things like that. So I grabbed those couple of things and I was kind of making my way out. I tried to kind of go out, a, a, you know, another another way that I came in. And the lady who had introduced herself to me, she she saw me walking away and she she kind of hollered at me and said, hey, uh, she's coming at me, you know, coming at me. She says, look, uh, well, you didn't you didn't get nothing. And I said, no, I said, look, just be honest with you. I don't feel real comfortable with it uh, because there's people that need it way worse than me. Um, you know, and I just, I don't want to be one of the first people in here, which I wouldn't, I wasn't one of the first people in there, but you know, I felt like the employees needed to go through it before me as a manager needed to go through it, you know? And, um, and she said, no, she says, listen, she says, you need to understand something. You are a manager here with the store. She says, but you, you're, a, you know, you were affected just like everybody else. And she said, we will continue to bring this product into the store until everybody has more than their fair share of it uh, to make sure that our employees are taken care of. She says, this is Cabela's duty to do this for our employees. 
And once again, guys, I'm not usually emotional. You know that on the show, but it, it kind of hits home with me talking about it. And that was that was just something that you don't hear you don't hear companies talk about. You don't hear you don't hear that interaction with many companies and their employees one on one talking to people like that, especially in today's day and age with big companies. You know, it's hard enough to find a you know a small company that treats employees well, much less a large company like Cabela's out there that's that's doing this for their their employees and, and the community that their employees live in. And uh when she told me that I just kind of I just kind of looked at her and I said thank you so much. And she said no problem. We are happy to do it. And you know we went through and I, I went through I, I, she actually rolled a shopping cart up to me and she's like take it and I'm not letting you leave until you fill it up. So I went through, I did, um, you know, I filled up stuff that I had, you know, lost personally, my, my, my kids, tennis shoes, boots, hunting stuff for them, you know, that type of stuff. But I mean, what an absolute gesture for a company to back their employees like, like they did back then, you know, and to do what they did, you just don't forget something like that. You know, I don't forget the people at all that helped with my, you know, when I, we went through that flood. To this day, those people that came out to my home, my friends, my family that, that helped us out with that, go through a situation like that, I will forever be in their debt for, for the help that they provided to us. And we do not forget that. Me and Amy take that very seriously. Um, you know, so if they call, we're there. That's just how it is because they were there for us when we needed it, you know. But that's just a little history on, on where they were. Um you know, at that time in 2015, like I mentioned, Dick died. Uh, I'm sorry, 2014. That's when the original owner died. So moving forward, you had Miss Mary and you had Jim. You had the, the uh, original founder's wife and you had the brother of the original founder. You know, they had been there since the beginning. Everybody was, uh, you know, very upset to hear the news of Dick, but everybody was, you know, going to move forward because it was still Cabela's. They still had their name on this store. They, uh, we had their name on our shirts, and we were going to make them proud. That's how we work. So in 2015, a year after Dick died, in my opinion, this is when it really started to crumble. Um, and this is kind of what, what led to where we are today with it. Uh, in 2015, in September, uh, Cabela's laid off 4% of its corporate workforce, about 70 people. That was the first time in a long time that, uh, you know, they had had a layoff, especially a corporate office. But you look at modern day corporate America and that's, that seems to be normal business. You know, you, you trim into excess fat. Um, you have a big company now. You don't have a small company in Chappelle, Nebraska or, or any, you know, like it was when it started out. So in 2015, September, they, they laid off their uh, 70 employees um, at the headquarters. In 2015, and 15, which you're going to hear me talk about, it's a busy year in 2015. In October, um, just a, a several months after, or, or month after, actually, laying off their first employees that they had laid off, um, Activist Hedge Fund, Elliott Management. You, you may not be familiar with that name, but I can promise you, if you play the stock market, you, you know who Elliott Management is. Well, in October of 2015, Elliott Management revealed an 11.1% stake in Cabela's. You got to remember, they had went public at that time, 
um, when you go public, you have investors that have an opportunity to buy into the company. Um, and when they bought into it, they are a hedge fund. And if you don't know what a hedge fund is, uh, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details, but basically they're a company that has no common interest in what you're doing typically, other than the profits that you're making and what they could grow uh, the profits into and sell it off for. So a hedge fund is, is, you know, just it's one of those deals. It's not a good thing for corporate America. Um, other, it's not good for the employees involved. It's not good for the companies involved. The only people it's good for is their their firm or whoever the hedge fund is to be able to make profits and move on to the next company. So Elliott, Elliott Management comes in. They take an 11.1% stake in Cabela's. And they immediately started calling for changes, including selling the business. So, um, which was the nail in the coffin, in, in my opinion, once again. So, you get this company comes in, they invest in Cabela's. This has been a family-owned company, great reputation in the industry, and immediately they start calling for a sale of the company. Pretty fucked up situation, you know. Uh, so, it, it, it's just what they do, though, unfortunately. So, November fifth, just a. A month later, Reuters reports that Bass Pro Shops could possibly buy Cabela's. So that's the first time we heard as employees the rumors of, hey, Bass Pro uh, might want to buy Cabela's. And without going into too much detail, I could honestly say uh, that everything I had ever been told about working for Bass Pro Shops was not in a positive light as far as being an employee. Now, I grew up, you know, me and dad grew up buying from Bass Pro Shops. We always bought our fishing stuff, a lot of our fishing stuff from Bass Pro stuff, you know, Bass Pro's catalogs. And then we buy all our, our hunting stuff from Cabela's, you know. So, uh, you know, I was very familiar with Bass Pro. I shopped at Bass Pro here locally a little, little bit, but I worked for Cabela's. So I had discounts. I had a loyalty. You know, these people had done a lot for me and my family and my community. And I was very loyal, like I mentioned, you know. So, at that date, that was the first time that we actually had a rumor start that, you know, Bass Pro could be doing something, you know, to or interested in buying Cabela's. So November 19th, Bloomberg, which is, you know, national news, reports that Cabela's is shopping itself around to a private to private equity firms. So then it kind of the story kind of started turning. Uh, well, Cabela's is shopping itself, possibly. Uh, no, they're not shopping themselves. We were being told, no, no, that's not the case. Don't believe everything you hear. But that was in November of 2015 that that was reported. Then you move forward to the end of the year, you December 2nd. Cabela's announces that it will undergo a strategic review, strategic review, which is often Wall Street speak for selling the company or parts of your company, in case you don't know. So when they, and that's exactly how they termed it to us as the employees. They said, we are undergoing a strategic review. Well, you start looking at what a strategic review means for most companies, and that means that, hey, they're looking at possibly selling the company or possibly selling parts of the company. So you got to remember, they had the adventure service, you know, where all the gods you could book. They had the catalog service. They had World's Foremost Bank with the uh, Cabela's Club cards. They had a lot, of, a lot of parts that could be sold off. So I'm sitting as an employee, and most of us were, thinking, okay, Maybe they'll sell off some of those things, but the, the stores, the retail stores and the catalog business and that stuff's going to remain the same. Uh, because at this point, Jim was still there and Mary was still there, you know. But this company, Elliott Management, also owned a, uh, you know, a pretty big stake in the company. And they're telling, you know, they're pushing for sale. 
they're pushing to you know make profits skyrocket so they can hurry up and sell it and make a profit off of it. So it's not a good combination. At this point, in my opinion, the Cabela's family was losing their own company right before their eyes, guys. You know, that, that's what it was. That's what it was happening. So a new year comes around, 2016, January 5th. Cabela's changes its bylaws to delay director nominations in 2016, which a lot of us don't necessarily, you know, pay attention or are going to know what that is. But basically, they were making changes internally on the board of directors and stuff like that. There was a lot of stuff happening there, a lot of jargon that I'm not going to get into. So it's not going in a good direction, as you can see, you know. February 10th, 2016, Chairman Jim Cabela reports to the SEC that he moved about 11.2 million Cabela shares into a charitable trust sometime around 2015. So Jim Cabela's name's in the headlines. He's reporting that there's been some stocks that have been moved around in the company. No wrongdoing, just you see a lot of activity that had never happened before. Um. You know, May of May 26, 2016, Cabela's outsources division that produced catalogs and other advertising to Quad Graphics. Uh, Quad Graphics was based in Wisconsin, out of Wisconsin, and um, they took over all the catalog advertising and catalog printing, all that type of stuff. That's the first time ever in history, Cabela's history, that that happened. So, I don't know. I never really got word if it was a sellout to them, if they sold off that portion, or but it definitely wasn't something that was in the normal operating procedures for Cabela's. They they outsourced it for the first time because remember they had a they had a department that did all that. That's where all those Cabela's catalogs we got for so many years was coming from from Cabela's themselves. Um, so that's the first time ever that they were outsourced. In June of 2016, Cabela's acknowledged for the first time that the company or parts of it or for sale and were for sale. So that was all the way in 2016, middle midsummer 2016. That's the first time that Cabela's actually sent us out something saying that, hey, they, there are parts of the company that are up for sale. So at that point, we knew it wasn't looking good. I have to be honest with you. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good thing at all. Um, August of 2016, as it's moving along through 2016, LA management, which is the hedge fund that owns a big stake in Cabela's now owns about 2.2 million more of the company's shares than it did in 2015 when it got involved with Cabela's. So Elliot's buying up more shares. They're pushing for a sale. They're pushing to make profits so they could sell and make money off of Cabela's is what they did. They didn't give a rat's ass about Cabela's. They, they never did give a rat's ass about Cabela's. Um, that's what a hedge fund does in most cases, you know, and in this situation, Elliott management was the devil. And, and unfortunately, Cabela's found itself in a uh, in a deal with the devil or in a situation with where they, they had to they had to own up and unfortunately give up some control. So um, yeah, I mean quite a bit more of the company was owned by them. Um, as you go into September of 2016. Um, it was looking like ultimately it was it was going to be a, a deal where Cabela's was going to sell out is what it was. We were hearing a lot of stuff about it, and that ended up being the case. Uh, old Johnny Morris, you know, which, uh, you know, love him or hate him, you know, 
he uh, his name started surfacing more and more. Um, there were rumors that uh, you know that that Bass Pro was going to buy. So I was getting calls from my buddy. I was, you know, at that time I was in the boating department. We were selling boats. We we're a big ranging dealer. Um, and you were you, there was he called me saying, "Hey man, joking, you know, not joking, but not joking. Hey, what you going to do? Bass Pro is going to buy y'all out. You ain't going to have a job because uh, you know the, the rumor was that." That they were going to take all the salesmen off a of commission. We were going to go to straight hourly. They offer you basically $10, $11, $12 an hour. And that was it. That's that's what you made. So, you know, working off a of commission, if you were really good, the, all those, all of you who work on commission, you know, the better you are, the more you make. You know, you sell more, you're going to make more. And uh, for that to go away, that was a drastic change to my lifestyle. That was going to be the case. And that was true. So, I didn't really know until it all went down or I, if, it, if it ever did go down, we wouldn't know the truth for sure. But on October 3rd, um, the deal was done. They announced that Bass Pro Shops, the outdoor giant, would combine with Cabela's and had purchased Cabela's in a deal that was worth $5.5 billion, guys. And in my opinion, and I'll say in my opinion a lot on this because, you know, it is my opinion. Um, October 3rd was the death of Cabela's as we knew it. As customers knew it, as employees knew it, as communities knew it, um, it was. So fast forward to 2021, where we are now, guys. What do you guys think? Do you still think Cabela's is the store that it was before it merged with Bass Pro Shops? Do you think it's better for it? Do you think it's worse for it? Um, I can tell you that I think it's worse for it, in my opinion. I really do. And not being biased because I was an employee. Because um, I really don't know the inside of how, how it's ran with Bass Pro Shops and how it is working for you know uh, them. I really can't tell you from experience because I never worked for Bass Pro Shops. I do work for an independent dealer uh, that carries products that is owned by uh, a subsidiary of John and Morris's Bass Pro Shops, which is White River Marine. Um, you know, as of 2021, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's locations, they have 177 total locations now. That's a lot, guys. That's a lot of fucking locations across the U.S. Some even say now with the acquisition of Sportsman's Warehouse, I mean, isn't it a monopoly? You know, hell, I mean, you could call it a monopoly. He owns everything pretty much in the outdoor industry. The only one that he doesn't own that I know of that's a large one is Academy right now. Because Academy is still privately owned right now. I hope to God he doesn't buy Academy, to be honest with you. Um, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's roughly employs 40,000 employees. So that's a lot of jobs. That's great. That's a good thing, you know, jobs. But I have to tell you guys, a lot of that's watered down from what I see, you know, and what I went through. Because once we got bought out, I was an employee under the new regime. And I can tell you that everything I heard was true before the merger went through of what was going to happen. And some of the people I talked to were ex-Bass Pro Shops employees. The first thing they did was, you know, on my, in my situation, I got a call on a Wednesday. I remember it very well. I got a call from my, my sales manager over at Cabela's, and he told me, he said, hey, I know you're off today. Don't want to be bad news, you know, bringing bad news. But I got some information we're going to need to sit down and talk about. Uh, I said, how bad is it? I knew exactly what it was. And he said, it, it, it's bad. He said, it's not good. I said, okay. 
So we got together. I go back to work the next day. We get back together. He says they are taking commission away from all the salesmen. Um, they are making an hourly offer to you. And basically, I was offered uh, $15 or $16 an hour to stay on. And he and he looked at me and they said they gave us 24 hours uh, to make a decision if we wanted to take a, a piss ant beverage package or we wanted to uh, to stay on board making, you know, me making $15 an hour or $16 an hour, whatever it was. And and that that amount was, you know, determined on, you know, what? I have no clue. I had been there for years. I was one of the top selling salesmen in the store in my department. Um, so that was a slap in the face, you know, to me, ultimately, is what I felt like, you know. And uh, I think many of you would probably feel the same way if you were put in that situation. But it was all about the bottom dollar. They, they're all about the bottom dollar. That's what these big retail stores end up, you know, they have to operate that way to compete with online sales and other things. But the way they go or the way it was operated in this situation is just like all the horror stories you hear with corporate America being an employee nowadays. It's not about the employee with them. It was about the employees with Cabela's. Like I, like I showed you a couple examples of Bass Pro's yearly revenue in 2021 or two, actually 2019 to 21 averages about $8 billion a year. It's a pretty, pretty successful store. Um, subsidiaries, you know, it's not only Bass Pro. Obviously, they, they bought Cabela's. So it's Bass Pro. It's Cabela's. And they also own a, a subsidiary called White River Marine, which is uh, the boating side of the industry for Bass Pro shops. So that's where your tracker, your nitro, uh, you know, your Tahoes, your Regencies. They went out and they bought Ranger. They, they actually bought Ranger. And there was a lot of stuff said when that happened because I'm in that industry. You know, Forrest L. Wood was still there. Uh, his nephew and his brother-in-law were actually running the company. And once Forrest passed, who was a great man, by the way, got to meet him in person, spent some time with him, very lucky to have that opportunity. Um, the minute he was out of the picture, all those jobs and all those uh, you know years of hard work that Ranger had put together to form that company all got watered down by White River Marine and now is owned by White River Marine and have been relocated from flipping Arkansas. A lot of it has, not all of it, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's more and more every year. Let me say that. It's more and more every year. It seems like that keeps getting relocated. And it's eventually going to probably become the death of, of, of another small community in flipping Arkansas, right there in Ozarks. Um, you know, those people and those generations of people that worked for Ranger for years, it's, it's happening to them. The same thing that happened to me as a Cabela's employee. The th same thing that, in my opinion, is probably going to happen to the people over at Sportsman's Warehouse that have been with that company for years. Um, and it's just not a good thing, guys. You know, you can be the greatest conservationist, outdoorsman, uh, well-liked person in the industry. But if you don't treat your employees well, and I'm talking all employees from top to bottom, then, in my opinion, you're not worth a shit. You know, and I'm not saying that's 100 percent the case in this situation with Bass Pro Shops and its ownerships. That's not what I want to make it. You know what I want to say. That's not what I want to call it. But I can just tell you my experience. I can tell you what I went through um, and I can tell you what other people that went through that were like me, you know. 
Um, and in my opinion, it was the death of a legend in the outdoor industries. Um, I don't think it's the same company anymore from the products to the people. You go in the stores now, you have people who have absolutely have no idea what product they're trying to sell you. They don't, they don't give a shit if they sell it to you. They don't care if they sell it to you. Um, and that's all the way from the products on the sales floor to the marine to the boats you buy. If you buy a boat from the, the big box stores now, it's it's completely different than it was whenever I was there. Cabela's cared about who was hired. They cared about knowing if you knew the products or you were an outdoorsman. They knew it. They they cared about it. You couldn't bluff those people interviewing you. When I was interviewing people, you couldn't bluff me on that. I knew if you knew it. That was one of my interview questions. But unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. You see people running away from you when you're in the store trying not to help you. You call. You don't get answers, return phone calls back. You just don't get the service. And, and I know it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But it wasn't the case with Cabela's when it was the company, the great company that it was before it got bought out and before it made a couple of bad decisions going public, in my opinion, and that type of stuff. So I, I'm I'm really, truly sad to see it go the original store, even though it's still around, it's still operating as a, under the name. I'm really sad to see it go. I think probably many of you will agree with me on that. Uh, you can see the quality of the product has dropped. Uh, you know, as hunters, when I was a kid, we bought our clothing from Cabela's because it was better than Bass Pro Shops as far as hunting clothing went. And it was like that until Bass Pro Shops bought them. I can honestly say that. But it's not the case anymore. So like many other things, even though it's not officially dead, a true giant in the industry died whenever it all went down and the merger went through. And I'm really sad to see it. I really am. For all of us, for all of us as outdoorsmen, it was a career deal, choice for me. I was sad. You know, when it happened, I was forced pretty much to leave at that point, which I did. And I was blessed enough to, to, you know, get picked up by a new company that I have a good career with now. I'm still doing what I love to do, and I'm very thankful for that. But it, but it is truly sad to see the once John of Cabela's, what it has become now. So, well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast episode this week. Um, I know we went longer than we normally do, but we had some a lot I wanted to talk to you about. I really wanted us as outdoorsmen to have the, the true story of what went down. Some of you may be interested in it and some of you may not be interested in it, but I think it's a story that needs to be told. And it's not often you get to hear it from an inside perspective of an employer who worked for a company such as Cabela's. Um, and I probably got many more stories I could share with you guys. Maybe we'll do in another episode one day, but I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's show. As always, if you stuck with me till the end, you you're even more special to me. I appreciate it. Um, and until next time, guys, we are going to hopefully share some more experiences together as family and outdoors uh, with our loved ones. We're going to make some memories and we're going to share them with you like we do every time we get on and do a new show with you guys. We appreciate you. Um, don't forget to check us out on social media, Facebook page, our YouTube channel. Um, if you haven't been, haven't been to our YouTube channel, please go visit it. Give us a like and a subscribe. We really would appreciate it. And it'll, it'll notify you guys every time something uh, you know new hits the channel. We appreciate it. Until next time, guys, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors signing off. 
and we'll catch you on the next show. Y'all take care.